Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, uh, if you're one of the children who's here, when we read the Word out of respect for the Word of God, so why don't you stand with me? And all the children say, Amen. Amen. Okay, that works, all right? Got to practice that a little bit. Okay, so here we go. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God, by this, is love, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because He is so, as He is, so also are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And all of the people said? Amen. Just because this is kind of the central part of this passage. There we read, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So right at the start, you have this idea that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, I just want to pause and stop there, because there's a lot of reasons why, even when you come in here on a Sunday morning, you miss. Maybe you grew up in an environment where parents were hypercritical, for instance, and so Every time you hear something, you hear criticism. Maybe you grew up in an environment where parents weren't critical at all, and so now when you receive or hear criticism, it seems like like it feels even more negative. Maybe you have a situation in your life where there was broken trust, or there was an unfaithful spouse, or maybe, sadly, you were abused by someone in power. You may be thinking all sorts of thoughts about the fact that you are looking for love, but you can't find it because of those experiences. This passage starts us out differently. It says, now we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. It starts from an entirely different foundation. In fact, let me add one other caveat. You may not be, feel the victim side, but you may actually feel like you were the one who created that. Maybe it's a sense of failure in your life, a sense that you have broken promises. Maybe it's love, but I just want to remind you, it's not about that. You'll find in a moment, it's not about you. It's about the love that God has for us. Now, last week, I talked about it. This world in which we live has all sorts of definitions of love. God is not captive by that. God is source of love, and I'll show you how we know just when we felt like we discovered it, okay? Love showed up because in John chapter 17, verse 24, we read this. Jesus says, of the Father, he says, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So I know love kind of feels like we should experience it in some way, and, and therefore when we have it, it's like our discovery, but love was there long, long before that. Love was known, and the source of that love is the Father, and the first, the first reference of love in history, past, is when Jesus says, listen, before even the world was created, the Father loved me. 
Now, we're going to answer some questions today. We're going to answer, how do we know God loves us? Number two, from the text, we're going to answer this question. How do we, we're going to answer the question, how do I apply God's love? Okay, so just stay with me. Here we go. First question. How do we know God loves us? How do we know God loves us? And the first answer is very simple. Both answers are simple. He sent his son to save us. You see that right there in verse 14. The father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Notice the context. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Now, for just a moment, understand that that this phrase, the savior of the world, was actually used by the Roman emperor who believed that he was the savior of the world, okay? Except as the Roman emperor, he sought not to save the world, but to destroy the world so that he could have things. Jesus is the flip of that. He's like the total opposite of that. He doesn't destroy the world so that he can have things. He sacrifices himself so that others can be saved. It's a beautiful expression right there. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to introduce you to the second idea here. How do we know God loves us? Because he not only sent his son to save us, but because he gave his spirit to help us. Sometimes as Christians, sadly, we just only talk about the salvation experience, and we forget that once we're saved, we're still not alone. God has sent his spirit to help us. He has given the spirit, and we find that in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given he has given us his spirit. Now, for just a moment, let me talk about that. Let me talk about that from some other passages. In John chapter 14, we read Jesus saying there, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you a, another helper. And the word helper there is the word parakaleo. Now, where are you, Kevin? I'm looking for one of your sisters. Come on up here if you could, okay? Come on up here. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, come here. Okay. This is just to keep all the kids alert, just in case, like, oh, you got to grab a sister. Bring him one of your sisters. Okay. Yeah. Especially the one you're going to embarrass. Come on. Come on. It's great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Help me out. Now, your sister's name is? Gabby. Great, Gabby. Okay. Who wants to be the paracleo? You want to be the paracleo? You can. Sure. That's great. Okay. Thanks for having so much excitement about it. Come on up here, Gabby, for me real quick. Okay. Kevin, I want you to stand right here. Okay. Now, Kevin's going to stand right here on this step. Okay. Now, just for a moment, Gabby, kind of go over there a little bit, okay? So just for a moment, understand that parakaleo is parakaleo, to call para alongside. Um, your sister's over there. If you need her to pick something up for you or help you, or you ever ask her to do things for you at home, like pick up something at the house or something? Thinking about it, okay. He's about to ask, Gabby. I'm sorry, I, I probably uh, let the lion out of the cage or something. Okay, here we go, okay. Just imagine you need her help, but she's over there. She's not much of a help over there, is she? But what if somebody sent her? Gabby, go help your brother. Okay. Yeah, you're still smiling. That's a good sign. Way to go, Mom and Dad. Okay, look what just happened. Para, alongside. Oh, she has been called alongside. Okay. Now, what I want you to see is this is the image of the Holy Spirit. You didn't know you were the Holy Spirit, did you? Okay, but this is the image of the Holy Spirit for a believer. It's not, it's not that he's over there someplace. He's here, para alongside kaleo, okay? He, that's what's meant by the word helper. You say, well, how is he a helper? Okay, well, just look at this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How many of you have ever, you guys are doing great, by the way. How many of you have ever had a prayer request and you've said, I'm praying for this, but I don't even know how to pray for this. It's so confusing. See your hands? Okay. Hands down. You know what happened? 
the paracoleto came alongside and he prayed for you in a way that you couldn't even figure out. This is what God did. He didn't just send a savior to the world, but he gave his spirit to help you in. Now here's the thing, okay? Gabby's the Holy Spirit to you, so whatever she says today, you have to do, all right? Okay, there you go. Okay, here's the picture. The Spirit helps us. Now, God not only, but he gave us the Spirit, the text says. Now, let me show you this. This is really cool, actually. What I want you to see is that when it comes to the love of God, the entire Trinity is active. Verse 13, um, he has, the Father has sent the Son. Right there, it's all together, okay? The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all of the scene where it says, listen, this is how you know and believe the love of God. How do we know God loves us? He sent his son and he gave his spirit. Now, how do we experience God's love? Because this is just as important, right? How do we experience God's love? Because sometimes in, in our human relationships, we say, well, well, I love you. That's what I told you. And the person says, but I don't feel like you love me. So some of that is, is that we're not experiencing it properly. And some of it is the fact that the other person is not loving properly. But here's the point. When it comes to God, God is perfect in his love. So the problem is not him, okay? The problem must be the way that we're experiencing God's love. And that's actually unpacked in this passage too. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen, there's the first one, and confesses, there's the third one, okay? We have seen. So here's the first thing. How do we know we experience God's love? We perceive the truth about Jesus. We perceive the truth about Jesus. The verb was that we have seen that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Listen, I perceive that Christ came to save sinners, and you'll see in a moment, testify means we personalize it. We end up thinking that, that and understanding that he has done that for us. Okay. Maybe you come in this morning and you're saying, listen, I know I'm in trouble. I got some challenges. That's why I'm coming back to church. I just don't even know how I'm going to, ex- where the love of God is. I want to tell Jesus. That's exactly right. In fact, let me show you that back in John. Take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Not the epistle of John. We'll be back there in a second. But look with me at John chapter 9. And there, at the end of that passage, remember, this is the man. Jesus heals him so he can see. By the way, this is a great, that over, throughout the scriptures, there's this wonderful illustration and metaphor that one of the healings that Christ does is he makes a blind person see. And that's because a blind person can't perceive certain things because they can't see them. Uh, We were with friends last night, and they were telling us this great story. Um, about, uh, about he's physically blind. And so there he is sitting in the front row and dad's preaching a little long, okay? And all of a sudden out of the front row, you hear the little boy cry, cry out because he can't see, the world is dark to him. Is it nighttime yet? Yeah, it's not nighttime. It's 9.30 in the morning, okay? But dad's preaching a little long and so he's thinking it should be nighttime by now, all right? Here's the point. The beautiful illustration of blind people seeing in the scripture is that there's certain things that a blind person could not perceive, colors, for instance. And the key is that, in, as the illustrations used, is that the perspective of, is that we perceive the truth about who Jesus is. Now watch this. Look at John chapter 9. 
After they cast this man born blind, he now sees. Bear in mind, he doesn't know that Jesus, he knows somebody healed him, but he doesn't know who healed him because he couldn't see prior to Jesus healing him. Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had cast him out and out of the synagogue. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I see what Jesus is doing. He's saying, do you believe? And he answered, and he, and he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have, what's it say? Seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. See what's happened? He is perceiving. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. If you want to experience God's love, it's got to start, it absolutely has to start with you perceiving the truth about Jesus, that he is who he claimed to be. And that's what's going on in this text too, by the way, isn't it? Because it says, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And it says that Jesus is the Son of God, that there's your picture. You have to start with who Jesus is. You have to start with who Jesus is. Here's the second idea. You have to personalize your faith in Jesus. It can't be for somebody else, okay? And I love this because the text says, um, uses the word testify, that we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We not only see and perceive the truth about Jesus, but we personalize our faith in Jesus. It's now not for somebody else, it's for us. Let me just talk, if I can, to those children who are in the service for the first time like this morning, because normally you're off in class someplace. If you're here, just let me share, we are glad you're here, but at some stage in your life, your faith has to move past your parents' faith to your faith. It can't just be because mom and dad are Christians that I'm a Christian. You have to say, listen, mom and dad are Christians, but that's my faith, that Jesus is my Jesus. It's not just my parents, right? Um, and if we're not careful, and mom and dad, you and I not only instruct into that, but we have to give room for the Holy Spirit to work there. You cannot manipulate them to Christ, right? But kids, you gotta own it, right? You gotta own it. At some stage, you've gotta say, listen, this thing is real. And you know what's really cool about this word right here that we talk about personalized, but the word, see the word testify? That's the Greek word that we get martyr from, okay? that lies it in such a way that you would be martyred for that faith. Perceive the truth about Jesus and then personalize your faith in Jesus. This is how we experience the love of God. You say, doesn't, it doesn't feel like love. It feels too like college classroomish. I'm just telling you, this is what the scripture is saying. And we'll talk about applying in a second, but if you want to experience the love of God, and we have seen and we testify, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And that's the final way you experience it. You have to publicly declare your life for Jesus, right? Confess is the word hamalageo, speak. Legeo, hama, the same. To say the same thing about Jesus that the Bible says about Jesus. That he is the Son of God. That he did come as the Savior of the world. That he did die on the cross for your sins. I was hanging out with some of our teenage, some of our, uh, teenage guys, and I asked them over breakfast, I said, you know, so tell me, like, what are your goals for this year? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish in school this year? Right? And uh, one of them said, and it was so priceless, one of them said something like, um, you know, I, I'm going to be new at the high school, but I've met some of the kids that are there already, and... and um, and I just want to look for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Right? 
And I thought, man, like, that's what all the adults should be doing too, right? That we should be saying, I'm looking for opportunities to publicly declare that Jesus is the one following. We're looking for that. Just notice this in the text. All of that is a prerequisite to this verse. It's remarkable. Now, for one moment, if you look at all of this, okay, perceive, personalize, publicly, it all sounds like something we do as individuals, right? Like, like you have to have a personal relationship with Christ, and, and you have to discover the truth about Christ, and you have to publicly declare Christ. Even though everybody else is, walks away, you stand there all by yourself, and you pub- publicly declare Christ. It all sounds like something we do alone. And this was one of those things in the text this week that all of a sudden just snuck, snuck right up and grabbed me, right? And here it is. I just want you to see that if it was all about you as an individual then we'd look for pronouns here that said you or I. But look at what we see. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we, now let's just do this. Every time you see one of those circled words, I want you to say it with me, okay? Watch this. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in because he has given his spirit and have seen and testify. You're all saying it because that's part of the interaction, but we're not done. Look at verse 16. So have come to God as love, and whoever abides in him, abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with, so that may have, because as he is, so also are. You know, you can almost slap over all of that a banner that says this, best done with others. All of that stuff, personalized, it happens much better in the scriptures with others, not just by yourself. There is and should be a sense of community. This is why you participating in a discipleship group or a connection group is so vital. It's so essential. It's not about you just having... You having a quiet time is important, but it's about you sharing what you're learning and them sharing with you what they're learning because all of this is best done with others. Which brings us to one final question. Here it is. How do we apply God's love? How do we apply God's love? Now, we're also going to find that in the text too, okay? But before we do that, let me show you this really kind of amazing little twist on words that's in the text. We started with this verse... So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That's the verse we started with. That phrase is used elsewhere in the writings of John. And just let me set it up for you. Um, It's not used in the epistles, but it's used in the gospel of John. And to set it up for you, here's what happens. At some stage in his ministry, Christ begins to say things that people do not grasp and understand. He's speaking in parables. They can't figure them out. Um, and, And... and people all of a sudden are starting to step away from Christ. There's this wonderful little question Christ asked the disciples. Now, bear in mind, in that discipleship, in that discipleship, in his D group, he has one who's going to betray him, right? There's 12 disciples, but one of them is going to betray him. And he asks a question, I think, that gets to kind of the humanness even of uh, the Son of Man. He, he asks the question, um, As his disciples turned back, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You can almost hear like the the pathos in the statement, like everybody's leaving, are you guys going to stay? 
And Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him. Now watch this. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know. Now notice just what happened. Same words we just saw, except they're reversed. Did you see that? Look back at this other passage. So we have come to know and to believe, but Peter says, we have believed and come to know. You say, why? Come to know. You say, why? Because the word know here is a word that means we not only know, but we know by experience. This is happening way back. Peter hasn't seen the crucifixion. He probably, you know, when he takes a sword and whacks off a guy's ear, he probably thinks he can help his denial. This is such an important distinction. When it comes to applying God's love, there is a sense in which we grow in understanding that love as we move through life. We face things that are difficult. We face our personal failures that we wish we wouldn't have done. We face our wish we wouldn't have done. We suddenly find all of that is how we begin to know. Before that, Peter's got to believe and then know. But when it comes to this passage in 1 John, we know and we believe and we rely upon the love of God. You say, what does that mean to me? It means that wherever you are in life, you may not have gone through some of the most difficult things yet. And as you go through those difficult things, that's so that you may not simply believe, but know by experience the love of God as well as believe. I had a friend of mine in California um, whose wife had succumbed to cancer years ago. And I remember I, was ta- I, I had just a really brief conversation with him. And I remember saying, you know, Tell me what you said about the scriptures again. And he said to me, the Bible, Phil, is on fire when your wife has cancer. He said, it it doesn't matter where you open it up. Something speaks to you. Because the difficulty and the suffering causes us to not only say that's something I believe, but as we pass through that suffering, we now know the love of God, not just believe the love of God. And what's really important in Peter's life is Peter makes this statement, come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We're believing But belief precedes the knowing. But he will one day know that no matter what he did, whatever he did, Christ was willing to forgive him. Because over here, he's saying, but he hasn't failed and denied Christ once, twice, three times, and then heard Jesus say, "Um, Peter, you're forgiven. And not only that, Peter, that the things you thought you were so courageous about Now I will tell you, Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of John, there will come a day when you will be martyred and you will not deny me. As if to say, Peter, you're going to do okay because you know that I love you. So how do we apply God's love? Here's the first thing. My confidence, what I've done, but what Jesus did. Look with me at verse 17. My confidence is not based upon what I've done, but what Jesus did. Now for just a moment, understand This is so contrary, so incredibly contrary to how our world talks about love. If I were to say to anybody on the street, number one answer, where do you you see the perfect picture of love? Probably most people on the street would say uh, a a wedding or a marriage, in which they say things like a bride bride never looks more beautiful than she looks on her wedding day, as if it's about her, or they'll say something to the groom, like the groom uh, just looks so handsome on his wedding day, it, and it's, it's, it's as if it's all about them. What if you went to a wedding 
And down the wedding aisle came the bride in torn out clothes or, I don't know, wearing sweatpants with coffee stains on them. And the guy does no better. He shows up in, in a T-shirt where he was just changing the oil under his car. Okay. Can you imagine that image, that picture? And there they are. Hey, I love you. Well, are you going to look better than this someday? Right. And the bride looks at the husband and says, are you, are you ever going to take a shower? You always look like this. Okay. What I want you to see is everything about the way our world describes love is, is about something we've done to receive it. It's not how the Bible talks about it at all. Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Not because of something you've done, but because of something Christ did. You do understand, don't you, that the day is coming where everybody in this room will have to stand before God. And you and I have to answer there. I'm not planning on answering based upon how I performed. I'm just going to let you in on a secret. I'm planning on saying, um, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Okay. It's what Jesus did, not what I did. And that's what this passage is saying. You don't want to stand on that day of judgment without understanding that it was the love of God that saved you. It is what Jesus did that died, where he died on the cross and his sacrifice was sufficient to cover your sins. My confidence is not based upon what I've done, but what Jesus did. Here's your second idea. Look at the text. My control will not alleviate my fear, only God's love will. My control will not alleviate my fear, only God's love will. Because here in this text, we're about to read this great little phrase, five words, perfect love. Now, this past week, I was listening to a podcast, and all of a sudden, um, they interviewed Paul David Tripp, and he, but, but know this, that like two days later, I'm in a car with a friend, and the friend gives me the same statement, okay? So, um, just know, if, if you're a controlling person, okay, um, God wants you to hear this, right? Here it is. Controlling people are fearful people. Controlling people are fearful people. That's right. They're afraid. Maybe you're a parent, you're desperately afraid you're going to make a mistake, so you're controlling. Okay. Maybe you're a spouse, you're desperately concerned that your spouse is going to disappoint you, so you're controlling. Right? You, so you're controlling of all the other people that are around you. Controlling initially looks like a person who's really confident, but the Bible doesn't say that. Controlling people are fearful people. Now look at the text one more time. Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You want the greatest application of love? Then when you have a tendency to control, just pause and say, whatever happens, I know this, that God loves me. God loves me. God loves me so much that he sent his son. Perfect love casts out fear. And here's your final one. My care for others is driven by God's awesome care for me. What if we love people not because we expected a response, right? What if we opened the door for some thinking that we had to receive a thank you, but we were just opening the door because we were just trying to do acts of kindness because we had come up to Wawa, not thinking about the cup of coffee, but pondering the love of God, right? Thinking only about how much God loved us. What if we live tomorrow just dwelling on the awesome care of God? You see, 
part of this love thing, the way our world has played it and the way we've bought into it is that we've done enough to kind of be entitled to it. But that's not how the Bible pictures it at all. The Bible pictures us rather as being needy, as helpless, as sinners, as rebellious, as dead in our sins. And it is to that person in his mercy, God comes and sends his son. My care for others is driven by God's awesome care for me. What if you learn to say to someone, um, like they said, wow, thank you, that was very kind. Why did you do that? Wow, is that a wide open door for the gospel? Okay. Well, because I've been loved by a person when I didn't deserve it. Oh, really? Tell me the story. Christ sent his son, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for me. My care for others should be so over the top, so extravagant, because I will never touch the extravagance of God's love for me. And that is why verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us, right? For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here it is, we love because he first loved us. And then the two verses that follow bring a direct application to that. Here it is. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he, has, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Why must he also love his brother? Because he has experienced the love of God to himself and it's overwhelming in its extravagance and therefore he's just parceling out love to other people out of the extravagant way that God has loved him. In fact, Richard Sibbs said it this way. When we feel ourselves cold in affection and duty, the best way is to warm ourselves at this fire of his love and mercy in giving himself for us. You say, uh, well, I'm struggling in my certain relationships to feel loved. Okay. Of Christ's love. You say, well, I don't really care for this person any very much because you know what they did to me or they did this and they did this. Listen, that's not going to solve your love problem. What solves your love problem is to warm yourself at the fire of Christ's love and mercy who gave himself for you. That's right. That's a perfect love, feels like, that casts out all fear. Hey, I was thinking about this because I was flashing back through this image that I talked about last week. Remember, I talked about the fact that uh, the Webb telescope took a look into the distance and it found 44 new galaxies, okay, that we had never seen before. And those 44 new galaxies had in them 100, average, 100 billion stars each, which means you got 440 billion stars that no one had ever seen before. And that's just one little speck of looking into one little part of dark space. Imagine when that telescope starts to look into other places, what it finds. And we look at that and we say, man, that is so awesome, right? That's not the most awesome thing. We tend to say, like, that is so unbelievable. Like, that makes me want to worship God. Like, if I could look through the, if I could look and see those images close, or if, it were, if I was in a planetarium where I saw all of those images, I would just stand up and start praising God. And I want to tell you, that's not the most awesome thing. The most awesome thing isn't the stars. The most awesome thing is this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the most awesome thing. We do not dwell in heaven as believers and spend all of eternity 
praising God and worshiping Jesus because he created stars, but rather we worship him in this way. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor. This is the most awesome thing. When you and I pause and we say, a life is hard or difficult, we have not taken a good look We have not seen, we have not testified, we have not confessed to the love of God on our behalf. For this is the most awesome thing. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.